Welcome to the A Jesus Church podcast. We're a family seeking to become like Jesus, empowered by His presence to partner in God's creative work of restoring the world. We pray this episode encourages and equips you along the journey. Before I jump in uh, to today, I have actually one more announcement that needs to be made. So you guys remember a couple weeks back, we talked about Picnic in the Park. Anybody remember Picnic in the Park? Any participants? Yeah? It was was just so much fun. And it was actually like one of those moments where it was like surprisingly fun. And and so we we decided, hey, we want to do this again. And we have another Picnic in the Park coming up August 6th. And it's going to be at two o'clock again, just like the last one was. Uh, but this time it's gonna be at Summer Lake Park. So it's like literally like right over there, super close. Now, we're also gonna make some adjustments to the day because we were so excited about it and it was so much fun. We wanna kind of do it up right. And so a little bit of tragic news for the 9 a.m. here. We're actually only gonna do one gathering that day, okay? So yes, everybody look at me, look me in the eyes. There will be no 9 a.m. gathering that day. If you show up here, you will be participating with Jesus and the worship band as they're practicing. That's what you're gonna be doing. But, but here's the thing, here's the trade-off. For all of you who have always wanted to experience pre-gathering prayer, this is your moment because we are going to do pre-gathering prayer at 10 a.m., okay? So at 10 a.m., you can show up here, pray with us. It'll be awesome. And then we're going to have a nice big gathering with everybody at the 11. And then all of us are going to make our way, grab some food along the way, and find ourselves at Summer Lake Park. And we're going to have a big, fun family time picnic in the park together. Does that sound like fun to everybody? Yes, I'm, I'm excited. You know, it's, it really is, it was so much fun just being able to sit and chat and connect with people you don't get a chance to spend a lot of time with. And so looking forward to that time, looking forward to seeing you all there. Now, we are so excited about worshiping with you today. Wasn't today great? Didn't John, isn't it so good to see John again? And uh, for those of you that have been a part of the story for a little while, you might even notice that Ryan and Emily are floating around here somewhere. It is just like a blast from the past day all around. Uh, But we are going to be opening the scriptures together, and you're going to need a Bible. So uh, there's some men and women around the room. If you need one, go ahead and throw your hand up, and they would love to get a Bible in your hand. When you get the Bible, go ahead and flip open to Exodus 3. We're going to be looking at the story of Moses. We're halfway, we're at this like halfway point in our series called Undivided. And we've been studying what it means for us to press into our purpose as sons and daughters of God. I opened the series kind of asserting that because we were created for God, that we become more whole as we worship him wholeheartedly. In fact, we were created for wholehearted, undivided worship. And as we encounter God's presence and are formed into his image, we reflect his creative power and purpose in worship. Again, we were created for wholehearted, undivided worship. And worship is more than just something we do together on a Sunday morning as we like, you know, open the scriptures and pray and give and and worship and sing together and take communion. It's more than just that. Worship is how we like human correctly, if you know what I mean. It gets expressed in our everyday life as we give worth to our holy, holy, holy God. 
That's why we've spent the last several weeks doing a little theology, talking about the nature of this God and that we follow and how it is that we should live as a result of who he is. Shelby dove into what it means that God is holy and, and how do we respond to God's holiness. And then we spent a week looking at God's name and specifically kind of diving into this idea that God is a jealous God, jealous for his family, jealous for his name. And then last week, Brian did a great job. He opened up Deuteronomy 6, the great Shema. And, and, and he talked about what it means to love the Lord your God only, the Lord alone. And he challenged us to kind of get back to the basics, to dive into those things that connect us with this God that we worship. But this week, we're going to turn a little bit of a corner. One of our goals for this series includes kind of like bringing clarity around what worship is. So we're going to look at some key moments in the lives of some men and women from the Bible who model for us kind of some of these essential qualities of a worshiper's life, of a worshiping life. Now, sometimes when we read the Bible or maybe we listen on a Sunday, we hear stories about the, the heroes of the faith, you know, like the Moses and the Hannah and the David and Mary. And it can be easy to kind of put them into the other category, a class of people that we could never be. We see their lives laid out in front of us and we know they have their dark moments, but we hold their stories at kind of a distance, kind of relegating them to their amazing ideals, but not really seeing those ideals as attainable or doable for us in our day. The thing is, this is not the Bible's intent. The, these unglamorized stories, worshipers who fall into doubt, temptation, depression, they're in the Bible to teach us the exact opposite reality that these men and women are way more like us than we think. That they, they live lives of drama and doubt, but they're, but they're marked with these holy moments. I mean, think about like Elijah in 1 Kings uh, 18, right? Elijah's on Mount Carmel. He's going toe to toe with the prophets of Baal. And he's calling down like God's fire on this like waterlogged offering. And fire descends. And he, he, he's like the Superman of the Old Testament, right? But it's this same Elijah that we find later all alone in the wilderness, shattered, before God, at the end of his rope, not Superman, just a man, a man in the hands of an incredible God. And in case you're unconvinced, uh, James, the half-brother of Jesus uh, through Mary, this, this man who wrote the book of James in the New Testament, he says this to us, James 5, Elijah was a human being even as we are, just like us. It seems like even the early church needed reminding, reminding that the Bible is full of entirely ordinary people who are radically changed in unexpected moments by an extraordinary God. Let me say that again. The Bible is filled with entirely ordinary people who are radically changed in an unexpected moment by an extraordinary God. 
And it's these moments that give us insight into what it means to be wholehearted, undivided worshipers. Holy moments in the lives of ordinary people that can model for us what it means to step in because there is something that happens in these moments, right? Because these people come out of them and they are changed. They're on an entirely new trajectory. In fact, often encountering God, his presence, it leaves everything different if we're willing, if we're willing to open our hands. A few moments in the Bible reflect this reality better than the one that we're looking at today in Exodus 3. So if you would, please stand up to your feet. I want to read from Exodus 3, starting in verse 1. Exodus 3, verse 1 says this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Lord, we pray that you would wake us up this morning. Help us to see more clearly. In fact, Lord, we pray that you would give us your eyes to see and your ears to hear. We know that you are here. We know that you're in our midst. Thank you for your grace and all those times that we miss you. We walk by those burning bushes. Right now, Lord, we just pray this morning you would help us to lay our distractions down. Give us undivided minds. Help us to hear from you, to receive from you. Would you be our teacher today, we pray. We love you, Jesus. Thank you so much much for never giving up on us. We lock our eyes on you today. And it's in your name. Amen. Amen. You can grab a seat. So the first time that we meet Moses, he's just a baby, right? This little infant, few months old, he's put in this basket that's been lined with tar so that, it, that it'll float. He's been left in the Nile by his mom and his sister with the hope that he might be like rescued by an Egyptian and raised in safety. His people, Israel, had been living in slavery for almost 400 years. And Pharaoh, who was the king of Egypt, uh, he, had, he had initiated this like culling process. 
He was eliminating baby boys with the intent of trying to like shrink the population because the Israeli population had grown so large that he was concerned that they might have an uprising. And Moses and his mom, or Moses's mom and his sister, they're, they're pretty successful. Actually, they're very successful. Moses is found, ironically and divinely, by Pharaoh's own daughter. I mean, whose compassion literally leads her to, to draw him up out of the water and raise Moses in Pharaoh's own home. In Acts 7, Stephen tells us, he kind of fills in some of the details for us, and he says that Moses was instructed in all of the wisdom of Egypt, mighty in word, mighty in deed. Moses gets the best of both worlds. He, he, he apparently gets the advantage of knowing his family and knowing his ancestry while at the same time getting the finest education and life the money and power could buy. Moses is raised as a prince, like that great movie, The Prince of Egypt, but he's still linked to his people. So when he's about 40 years old, believing that God had literally raised him up for this purpose, for the purpose of rescuing his people from their captors, he steps up to the plate. Moses, seeing an Egyptian beating one of his countrymen, he steps in and he kills him. He kills the Egyptian, likely believing that this will kind of be the beginning of an uprising, the beginning of freedom for his people. The problem was his people didn't agree. The next day, Moses tries to break up a fight between two fellow Hebrews, and they confront him and say, who made you our ruler? Are you going to kill us like that Egyptian you did yesterday? The indictment is both brutal and clear. You might think you're a prince, but you're not. You might think that you're powerful, Moses, but you're not. Realizing that his sin had been found out, he goes on the run. He heads off and, and, and he's, he's now a hunted and rejected man. And so he flees into the wilderness, leaving behind all that he knows, both Egyptian and Hebrew leaving behind his identity. And then through an act of his own kindness, he becomes a shepherd in a distant land, a husband and a father among a foreign people. And he disappears from history and society for almost 40 years. And we don't know if these like 40s are, are simply, or if they're there to imply stages or if they're literal, we do know that in the biblical narrative, people tended to live longer. But we also know that there's something deeply symbolic about the number 40. It, occur, it occurs 146 times in the scriptures and it often describes a period of like testing or trial or refinement. Think like, Israel in the desert, right, for 40 years, or Elijah on Mount Horeb for 40 days, or Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days. Moses spends his first 40 years in Egypt being tested and refined in the house of Pharaoh. And then he spends another 40 years in the wilderness being tested and refined and forgotten. And I think there is a word here for some of us in the room. 
Some of us who, who find ourselves maybe in that season of life, that stage of life where we feel forgotten. The life of Moses, it, it divides up well into thirds, with about two-thirds of it feeling as if it's all being wasted. All the education, all the resources, all of the relationships, it's all being spent on sheep. I wonder... As he wandered that countryside, was Moses ever like brooding? Wondering to himself, does any of this even really matter? He had been so sure that he was the deliverer for his people. Did any of them even know he still existed? Raised with all of this opportunity, filled with passion and angst for his people, stuck in slavery, but rejected by them. Not really Egyptian, not really Hebrew. Filled with possibility and potential, but discarded. A foreigner in a foreign land, learning skills late in life, picking up the pieces of what was and trying to make sense of what is. Not really a shepherd, not really a leader. Filled with brokenness and doubt, Moses is alone in the wilderness. And when we meet Moses in Exodus 3, he's a very different man. Plagued with insecurities around his ability to lead and communicate. So sure that he's a forgotten nobody that he literally begs God to try to, to choose somebody else. Pick somebody else, God. Stammering over his words, clinging to his shepherd's staff, the only identity that he has left. But this, this is the Moses of the Exodus. This is the voice of Yahweh, the one who would later bring judgment on Egypt's gods, the one who would part the waters, the one that would lead the masses, the one who would talk with God face to face like a man talks to his friend. There's something profound about where we find Moses 80 years into his life. It seems like all that he was has faded. It's as if he has emptied himself of his expectations, emptied himself of his own power, of his own like self-confidence. We meet a Moses with seemingly nothing left to offer, which is just where God wanted him. In this holy moment, it's like God says, finally, you're ready. You thought you were going to move in your strength, but now in your weakness, you will move in mine. Exodus 3 is the holy moment when God shows up, never late, nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. Exodus 3 verse 1 says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush? 
does not burn up. There's so many interesting and easy to miss details in this text that fill out so much of the story. You know, much had changed for Moses in the years that he had made Midian his home, yet I, I, I would wager that so much of his life felt unchanging at this point. Notice that Moses is tending his father-in-law's flock, not his own. After 40 years, he hadn't amassed any of his own wealth. He hadn't gained any of his own success. Long gone were the lavish courts of Pharaoh. Long gone was any sense of power or achievement. He was, in effect, a household worker in his father-in-law's house, home. And also notice, he's a shepherd. I mean, this is like the lowest of jobs and absolutely despised by the Egyptians. He had, in effect, become the exact opposite of all of his education and development in Pharaoh's court. He now represented all of the labels of his people. And in many ways, he was slamming the door on ever returning to Egypt. But it seems like deep down, somewhere inside of Moses, there was something in his heart still yearning. So, so he leads his flock back to the far side of the wilderness, a path that would take him back towards Egypt, likely retracing some of his own journey so many years prior. Maybe it was just to find some fresh grazing. Maybe it was just to stretch his legs. But he travels the same path hundreds of miles back towards his former home. Was there something tugging at his heart, I wonder? Was God drawing him back, reminding him of his story he travels to a completely different region and he finds himself on Mount Horeb, a mountain that would someday mean so much more to him and his people. And as he walks, he sees something that his eyes can't make sense of. Fire in a bush, pretty common, but it wasn't burning up, pretty uncommon. A curiosity, some, something that drew him over. What, what is going on over there? And that curiosity draws him closer. God uses a burning bush, like he often does, to draw Moses close. And so, verse four, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Notice the relational nature of this encounter. The Lord notices Moses noticing. Did you catch that? The Lord notices Moses noticing. This is not a one-sided encounter. It's when God, it's when Moses makes a move towards God that God begins to speak. God sets the stage with this kind of amazing, unexplainable moment, but it's only when Moses takes the bait, so to speak. When, when he sees it he, and he takes that step that God begins to engage further. Again, I wonder if this isn't a word for someone here in this room today. Are there places in our lives, places where you've been waiting to move? Or more importantly, are there places where God has been waiting for you to move? Have you noticed something in your life, maybe a curiosity that has God's fingerprints all over it? 
How have you responded? What does it look like for you to go over and take a look? Could it be that God is waiting for you just around the corner, waiting for you to move? And what's more is that God knows Moses' name and he knows your name. One step forward gives way to another step, the impersonal to the personal. God engages Moses by name as Moses simply moves towards God in curiosity as it is so often with God. He, he leads us forward and he raises the stakes. It's how he moves us in faith. Douglas Stewart, he's an Old Testament theologian. He says this, it's really fascinating. In ancient Semitic culture, Addressing someone by saying his or her name twice was a way of expressing endearment, that is, affection and friendship. Thus, Moses would have understood immediately that he was being addressed by someone who loved him and was concerned about him. More than simply his name, God gives Moses his affection his friendship. Moses gives God his curiosity and God gives Moses his love. I think Moses gets the better end of the deal. It's as if God had been waiting for Moses, just waiting for him to look his way, to, to make that step, to come forward. And God is there waiting, ready to respond and engage. Even in the smallest of ways, Moses is like, he knows deep down likely who this is that's calling for him. He is his maker after all. And Moses says, here I am. Verse five, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. I imagine the identity explosion that took place inside of Moses' mind in this moment. He knew the stories. He, he knew the prophetic promises to his people and he also knew that no one looked at God and lived. I imagine him kind of like in this crazy flurry of trying to get his sandals off while covering his face. Did he hit the ground? Was, was that what you were supposed to do? Was there some sort of special words that he was supposed to be saying? I imagine this all running through his mind as he's trying to respond appropriately to a moment that has just become holy. Have you ever found yourself kind of like accidentally in a holy space? Like, or, or a place where God suddenly makes his presence known. Now, as of last week, I've now been officially exposed as a singer. Um, and it's true, I was actually, in fact, a choir boy. And, uh, and actually, we were kind of a big deal, if I'm going to be honest. Uh, we, we, when I was in high school, our choir won a bunch of awards and we traveled all over the place. And a part of that was a part of our senior year was we got this opportunity to tour cathedrals all over the continent of Europe, tour and sing. So we got to stand in these crazy old houses of God and just sing out these incredible hymns and beautiful songs. It was, it was beautiful. One day we were in uh, Cologne, Germany, and in, in Cologne there's this amazing cathedral. It's kind of like the biggest of its kind in the world, gigantic. When you stand inside of it and look up, 
Uh, it's just like it just goes on forever. It's incredible. But it was literally designed to be sung in. The sound it gets up into the lofts and it just rattles around. It's this beautiful, natural acoustic. It's, it's pretty incredible. And we sang through a couple of our kind of regular songs that we'd prepared and all that kind of stuff. But then we, we ended kind of with our award winner, you know, that one that we did. We all got in the middle, we sang in this beautiful space, and we started singing Crucifixus uh, by Antonio Lati. And it's this song that's basically, it's eight parts. So the whole choir of 40 or 50 of us divided up into eight different parts. And we basically are singing over top of each other, crucified, 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 crucified. He was crucified for us. And that's the song, but in Latin. And we stood there and we were singing and the song builds and it cascades on itself and it goes up into the lofts and there's like I said, there's like 40, 50 of us. And this is, this is it's a public high school, right? None of these people, they, they kind of knew Jesus. There's a few of us who were followers of Jesus, but mostly just kind of standing in a circle, high school kids. And then it was like the spirit of God just descended. And one by one, I'm watching as my classmates who have no idea what they're singing start to weep. I kid you not, like 40, 50 high school boys and girls, we're all just bawling our eyes out as we're trying to get through this song because the Spirit of God descended on us. We were in a holy space and we could barely make it through the end of the song. It was like God heard the holiness of the words and his unique presence made an appearance. We often will pray this prayer, come Holy Spirit. And what are we saying when we pray? It's an ancient prayer. What are we saying when we pray this prayer? We know he's here. God is all around us. And the Holy Spirit really doesn't need our invitation. He goes where he's want. He's like the wind, right? He certainly doesn't need us. So why do we ask? What's the difference between God's presence and God's presence? what sometimes theologians will call his like manifest presence. Well, I think we see it here in this story. Moses had been wandering around the hills for years, right? Decades. And God was always just one quiet conversation away. He was a God fear. I'm sure he was talking to God all of the time. But, but then in the midst of a normal, ordinary day, suddenly God shows up. God gets personal. Moses, Moses, I am here. I am holy and I know you by name. God's introduction is both powerful and profound. In his kindness, he tells Moses, be careful, this ground is holy, holy, holy. The radiance of God's glory containing an unimaginable amount of power like the sun destroying and consuming all that is too close to it. God's otherness demands sacredness. His presence demands preparation. But what's fascinating to me is that bare feet were more sacred than sandaled. Has that ever hit you before? And I get the culture, right? I, I'm Canadian. I grew up in a culture that's just like this. You remove the shoes when you walk into the home. It's a way of honoring the home, honoring the owners of the home. 
But still, in this moment, Moses is now standing on holy ground with nothing between him and this dirt. This holy, holy, holy God radiating out and making the space a cathedral of his holiness. And there's nothing between him. God is so holy and yet he's also familial. I am the God of your father, Moses, and his father, and his father before him, all the way through the patriarchs. Your family, Moses, is my family, which implies all sorts of paternal and maternal care extended through the generations. And now to Moses, God is set apart, but he's also so close. God is completely other, but he's also family. Elizabeth Barrett Browning famously wrote, Earth's crammed with heaven, and every common bush of fire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. Browning's little poem is so beautiful, it's so inspiring, and it's also more than a little convicting. She challenges us to see. She challenges us to wake up. She challenges us to be aware. God has set aside holy moments for us all around us. If only we'll open our eyes and really just see them, take off our shoes, and respond to the personal call of God. It's a beautiful little poem, but it's incomplete. This is the part that often gets quoted, and there's actually another line. It goes like this. Earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush of fire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit round and pluck blue blackberries. The rest sit round and pluck blackberries. Makes you wonder, what are our blackberries? What, what are the things that we're sitting around doing and missing the holy fire of God just around the corner? Anybody ever watch those videos of people walking into fountains or worse yet, into traffic because they're on their phone? Anybody? Oh, come on. They're hilarious, right? I remember one time being on a run uh, and I was out and I was completely lost. I was running in North Carolina. Everything's flat, lots of trees. And I'm running along and I'm trying to use Google on my phone while I'm jogging. I ran straight into a turn here sign. I, I kid you not, smack face, took me right off my feet, landed on the ground. I ran straight into it. You know, I know I beat up on phones and social media a lot here. But really, deep down, the issue, the issue is, is us. We've gotten stuck in our distractions, stuck in our entertainment, stuck in plucking blackberries, while a burning bush sits just around the corner, just over the hill. And we could talk about tossing out our phones, but what we really need are some new patterns, some new practices, some new habits to help us wake up. I mean, sometimes self-denial is the only option. We need the freedom that can come from abstaining, for sure. But there is a place for moderation, especially when moderation sits inside of a life of healthy practices. John Wimber, he's the father of the, the vineyard movement, he used to talk about the nature of transformation. 
He, he, he would start with theology. It's really, this is just a discipleship process. He would start with theology. He would say, what does the Bible say about who God is, what God does, who we are as a result, what we should do as a result? And then he would point to models. Like, what did this look like in, in the life of that Old Testament prophet or that New Testament saint? And then he would call the church to practice. Simple tangible exercises that help us live out the theology that we say we believe. Theology, model, practice. Theology, model, practice. It's pretty simple. And then we've spent about a month doing some theology, looking at the theology and the nature of worship. And today we dug a little deeper, examining a holy moment in the life of Moses. So what does it look like for us to create habits that help us step deeper into the life of a wholehearted, undivided worshiper. How do we practice this? Well, there are two ideas, kind of easily adapted from two, into two practices from the life of Moses. And they're represented with these two words, curiosity and courage. Curiosity and courage. Curiosity to like, to, to see, to, to keep the eyes open, to look, to see, is that a burning bush? What's God doing over there? Is there something that I'm seeing that's beyond just the normal in my life? Courage, the ability to step forward, the ability to go and look, the ability to stay when God reveals himself. The first practice that I want to invite us all into is this idea of intentional time for holy curiosity every day. Now we know we need this, right? We know we need this. I mean, curiosity is like dying in our culture. The church should be the place that reinvigorates it. We serve the God that like invented the platypus, right? It's, curiosity should be in our nature, wired in our being, wanting to bubble up. What would it look like? If we were to, to, to set our devices aside for just a portion, for just a short period of time every day, a media moderation, and give undivided attention to curiosity, to keeping our eyes open. We want to create here at AJC a culture of expectancy. Like what could happen next? What, God, what is God up to? We want this to be a place where there's expectancy in the air, living with our eyes wide open, living with anticipation. I encourage you every day. I mean, if this is so hard for you, if you're like, I don't know if I can do it, then start with like 10 minutes. Turn your phone off for 10 minutes. It's probably good for your phone, right? Just spend a little time, 10 minutes. And then in that time, I want to encourage you to pray a prayer. Practice number two. I call it the courage prayer. Okay, the courage prayer. In 1 Samuel 30, we read this story where David has this really bad day. I encourage you to go check it out, take a look at it later. But then it says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. Literally, he took courage from the Lord. I want to encourage you every morning to pray this courage prayer. Lord Jesus, fill me today with the courage to move towards you in faith to listen with humility and to obey your words. 
Just a simple prayer. And I want you to pray it out loud. If it's easy for you to post it up on your, on your mirror, don't, I guess you can't do it while you're brushing your teeth, but just before you brush your teeth and just say it out loud. In this holy moment, Moses displays profound courage. When God said who he was, Moses was afraid, so he covered his face. But notice, he didn't run away. This is that fear we talked about several weeks ago with the lion, right? It's, it's majestic, it's powerful, but it's also terrifying. Moses was afraid in the right way. And his fear didn't drive him away. Instead, it drove him to humility. God, I think, is waiting for us on the other side of two simple practices. Just create space for curiosity and then ask God to fill you with courage. Would you stand, please? Friends, God is up to something in our day. There is a, a movement that is bubbling out. It's starting to happen all around the world, different parts of the country. There's a generation of worshipers waking up again to this holy, holy, holy God. And I just want to let you know, I want in. We want to be the church that says we're in. To, we're in. Lord, we want to be in that. And in order for us to be that, it means living a life with expectancy. With our eyes wide open, expecting that God wants to move in our midst. So if you would, just join me by opening up your hands. And let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you for my friends. And I thank you for what you're doing in our day. And Lord, right now, we just simply say, like, wake us up. Give us your eyes, Jesus. Help us to see. Lord, we don't want to walk by the burning bush. We want to come close. So Lord, would you, would you do that this week? Would you draw us close this week? Call us by name. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to partner with us through giving, visit us at ajesuschurch.org.